Welcome to Keeping Secrets. I'm Veer Koto. Keeping Secrets is a web series produced by Dating Kinky about the intersection of kink and privacy. In this series, we'll be talking about the hidden dangers, hidden allies, and practical steps you can take to protect yourself and your community. We give you the information and the tools to make informed decisions that are right for you. These webinars are recorded live and then released as a podcast. So if you're interested in participating and you're comfortable sharing, you can join us for questions, just like these amazing people are here tonight. I am your host, Vir Koto. I am a geek, a kinkster, and a privacy advocate. You can check out my very outdated website at virkoto.com. You can email me at vir at virkoto.com, or I'm on FetLife as Virkoto, all one word. The opinions expressed in this series are my own. Your mileage may vary. Uh, of course, the other opinions are mean streaks, but still, your mileage may vary, and consult your doctor if after taking my advice, you have an erection that lasts more than four hours. <laughs> so uh, the intersection of BDSM and the law is a constant topic in this series, because I think for many of us, dealing with the police is kind of a worst-case scenario, uh, having someone... Uh, tied or gagged uh, and knives next to them or other kind of instruments. Uh, the optics are not, not great. Uh, and about seven months ago, we had Lorenzo, a, a former police officer, on as a guest to talk about handling police interactions. Today, we're privileged and honored to have Mean Streak Mile Wide, um, a defense attorney, to give his perspective on the topic of uh, BDSM and the law. I'll be interviewing Minstreak, and then we'll have plenty of time for Q&A. Um, so if you have questions or comments, uh, please put them in the chat so that I will get to them um, during the Q&A. So welcome, Minstreak. Thank you so much, and thanks for the, uh, the nice introduction. Um, I'll give my own disclaimer. The uh, information I'm going to give is not legal advice. It's for entertainment purposes only. Also, I am a... Um, licensed attorney in the state of New York. So my information um, is even less useful to anybody outside of the state of New York. And you should um, consult with local uh, practitioners and lawyers in your jurisdiction. Um, and thanks for having me. This is going to be really fun. This is, a, this is an important topic. I think, I think in the back of all of our minds, um, there's a lingering concern about the legality and um, and uh, our status as, uh, for freedom and protections to do the things we want. So uh, knowing what that is and how to handle it, both kind of in a larger sense of what's the legal landscape look like is important. And then also kind of where the rubber meets the road, how to deal with uh, encounters, I think is also, you know, where, with law enforcement is also something we want to talk about. So uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, let's dive into this. Yeah, well, so you so you mentioned um, that you're, you're licensed in New York. Um, you know, I don't know what else you might want to share, uh, either about your kink self or, or your legal uh, perspective, but I, I want to give you that opportunity. So want to tell us a bit about yourself? Well, sure. So um, I've been kinky since middle school. Interesting side note, I'm still friends with my middle school submissive and recently cat sat her pet. So um, that's... Uh, uh, that always makes me laugh. That, that, that tickles me. Um, but yeah, basically been involved in the in BDSM since um, since since then, pretty much nonstop. Um, I'm mostly am a dom. I'm pretty sadistic. I think is a fair way to describe me. And um, I've been in 
mo a few different kinds of relationships, MS relationships, DS relationships, uh, done some pro-dom work, some other sex work that I can't admit to on camera, on uh, recordings. And um, yeah, kind of done the whole kind of traveled down many, many a seedy alley through this wonderful rabbit hole that we all live in. Uh, so um, I, I was telling some folks before we, we started recording that I was lucky enough to to see you present and uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to spoil it a little bit, uh, which is that you uh, came with a uh, I don't remember if it was one or two. I think it was two co-presenters and uh, you uh, you did something and you said, well, this is a felony. Uh, and then you did something else and, and you said uh, and you actually said this is a first class felony and you said uh, this is a second class felony. So why don't we if you're not going to demonstrate that. Why don't we just start with is BDSM legal? Yeah, I, I do. I do recommend taking this, this uh, checking out this presentation live. It is way more visually stimulating. Um, I, I quickly learned that um, law is boring, but naked people being hurt is not. So I quickly incorporated that into the uh, presentation for, for everybody's enjoyment, my own included. Um, the answer is, um, the answer is in, with law is the answer is almost always maybe, right? Uh, is it legal? Maybe. Um, and here's, here's kind of where we stand. It's certainly not a protected right. Um, cases, the kind of leading cases on, um, on kind of things analogous to this, for example, people like to quote the, um, the famous case of Lawrence v. Texas, which found that um, anti-sodomy laws are unconstitutional. Uh, we don't have a kink version of that. In fact, we've never successfully litigated a kind of right to human sexuality that extends to all forms of sexuality that would include BDSM. So whereas we think, and, and this gets into some, some kind of constitutional law questions, but you're about to see, apparently, based on the leak, um, the, the, the whole concept of a penumbrum of rights to privacy might be very well struck down in its entirety. So this idea that we have some sort of fundamental freedom to our sexuality is unfortunately not the state of the law in the United States of America. Um, it is in places like um, Scandinavia, where they have sensible governance and ideas and are not the descendants of Puritans. But in America, we we do not have a right to BDSM. We sim it, it, They can prosecute us. They can outlaw us. They can um, they can harass us. And in different periods of time, they have. Um, that being said, it's not all gloom and doom. The the maybe is a really strong maybe. I'll, one thing that gives me a high degree of encouragement is if you look at the model penal code, uh, which is not universally adapted, but is a um, is a kind of well model code that they you know that kind of is meant to codify legal principles and then have be adopted by the states. A lot of it is very pro. Um, it does leave room for a kind of sexual freedom, and the the way that it would the for under the model penal code. Um, if you look at, for those of you who are really, really dorky, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get all of your dork boners in a, in a going with a, uh, by quoting sections and subsections. So, 211, uh, 2.11 is the consent um, section, and it has a subsection one, which in general says 
um, you can consent to uh, to to be having inflicted ha um, harm brought upon you. Subsection two says that that harm can be bodily injuries, where and this I'll just quote this: the bodily injury um, you consent you can consent to bodily injury if um, uh, or threat, by the way, uh, to bodily injury if the, the it's con if the bodily injury is not serious or is a reasonable foreseeable hazard to joint participation participation in a lawful athletic contest or competitive sport or other um, concerted activities not forbidden by law. So other forbidden activities not consented by law, I would say that that is what mostly we would fall into. Because I don't think a lot of states have outright banned BDSM. I don't think that a lot of, you know, certainly New York doesn't have a statutory provision to outlaw BDSM. It just comes in under other statutory um, criminal laws like assault, um, harassment, stuff like that. So you end up with this, this kind of, this kind of gray area. Now, I will say that, you know, when I want, there's two things you need to, to kind of flag here. One um, is that the model penal code, uh, the model penal code codified um, under uh, 3515 subsection one subsection C says physical force is the product of combat or, or by agreement, not specifically um, authorized by law. And then the other part that I want to flag for you is that it says not serious physical injury. Now, I've seen a, the way a lot of you kinky freaks out there play, and maybe I play. And I have to say that I think we might run afoul of that um, that that kind of standard of it being um, where is it um, not serious. Some of the injuries that we inflict that we might think of as very routine would probably pass the threshold of, quote unquote, not serious. This is stuff like bruising, cuts, swelling, lacerations, um, you know. So it's real murky and it's a little bit terrifying and it's a little bit scary, um, but there's definitely room for it to grow. So, um, yeah. Oh, that was great. Uh, I was I was looking to see if I could find the first uh, subsection on the New York uh, website, but I, I yeah. So the the um, I quote I actually got I actually got a little confused because one I, I did quote quote the model penal code and I did quote a little bit from New York state law, but it, it's just to give you an idea that the ideas are out there in a framework and the kind of to give you a general summary. The answer is we do not have a constitutional protected right to express ourselves sexually the way we wish we did. Because um, there is no penundrum of rights that caught it, that gives us sexual freedom. Um, but there is room under at least an example of New York state law where I practice or under the model penal code where you can consent to some bodily harm. And, and this kind of makes sense because there's a it would it'd be almost impossible to not have boxing or hockey if you didn't have some sort of consent to um, assault in the, you know, uh, in the third degree or in the case of hockey, uh, assault in the second degree, which is a felony, right? Every slashing penalty would, care, would carry, you know, uh, three minutes in the penalty box and then, um, and then two to five years in state prison. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. So, um, so that's kind of the overview. That's the landscape that we we all kind of find ourselves in. Sure. I, I think, you know, the, the other piece, and look, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of, of topics that we can dive into here. Um, you know, cause I'm going to want to talk to you about play spaces and the legality of dungeons. Um, but I think I, I, I want to actually stick on the law here because I think one of the things that um, you mentioned, you know, in, in the past, and I think other people have mentioned is that the, the big reason that we can't have, you know, necessarily total consent in these domestic situations is obviously because of domestic abuse. Um, I don't know if you want to, if you want to dive any deeper on that or. Sure. I, I mean, I can give you a quick history of, of the domestic violence laws and how we got to where we are and why we are where we are, which is for a long, long time, patriarchal America would, would, allow domestic violence and it would there would be domestic violence the basically all male police force would show up they talk to the guy they tell him to go take a walk and calm down and then he would come back and he would you know once again engage in domestic violence and so sensible forward-thinking feminists decided that that was a really bad legal system and we created we took a lot of the discretion away from the police. And subsequently, now we have these kind of very intense mandatory arrest laws, which put all of us in the crossfires of something we had nothing to do with, right? Which is when the police get called, it all of a sudden ratchets up the, the situation for both us and the police, because they're under a lot of pressure and have very little discretion when it comes to what to do. And, um, you know, and so we're, you know, and that, that kind of puts us in a real, a real pickle. Yeah. And, and I think the other piece that needs to get brought up and because I think it's obvious for, for someone like you, but it may not be as, as clear cut is that just because something is legal, for example, doesn't mean that you won't, um, you know, police officers are not attorneys and uh, they're not, you know, they're, they're also not judges. Um, and so they, a lot of discretion has to do with their, um, you know, their read of a situation, which can be based on their background and frankly can be based on things like race um, and, uh, and sexism or, you know, any kind of, um, you know, any kind of whiff of whatever um, they have. And I think, you know, for, for a New Yorker that, puts us at somewhat of an advantage, um, at least for certain New Yorkers. Um, but that that same advantage may not be present if you're a minority, if you're living in a more rural conservative area. Um, again, and, and you know, you're referencing just just you know, just to sort of date this recording. This is just uh, two days after the, the Supreme the US Supreme Court leak uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. And so there's a lot of of thought and going on right now about well, what does this mean uh, to you know American society? Um, but you know, I, I I wanted to just kind of bring that back of, hey, you know, you may be able to you may be able to get out of this, but that doesn't necessarily mean you won't be arrested. Sure, and and I have and I think you you kind of touched on something that I, it's basically going to go as well as the it's going to be as cool as the police are cool, right? So. 
if you, first of all, there's a whole bunch of things. One is that if you live not in a city, if you live in a rural area, your neighbors might not hear what you're up to, which means that as long as you're engaging in consensual, you know, BDSM and everybody's, you know, everybody's consenting and everybody's happy and nobody calls the police, you're never going to have a problem. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in the country outside of, you know, in the countryside outside of the city. And, you know, the, um, you know, the bears aren't, aren't going to call the police, you know, the deer aren't going to call the police. So, but if you live in an urban area where there's, you know, neighbors real close or even, you know, kind of row houses in suburbia, you're, you know, the police might show up. Um, and then it's going to really depend on not just the individual police that show up, right? The, literally the, the officers at your door and how cool they are, but also kind of they're going to be informed by the culture you live in. And that's going to vary widely from, from place to place, right? I, I, I would suspect the sensibilities of a San Francisco Castro District Bay Area police officer might be a little different than a smaller town cop in Kansas, you know, based on what they've seen and what they've done. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, that makes, that uh, makes sense. Well, and and I, I hadn't, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't oh, know. I was just say, like, you know, I live in New York city. I, you know, it's wildly progressive and I've seen very, I've seen none of, I really have seen almost none of these cases ever get, uh, I've never even seen really arrests as long as every, the police were able to kind of talk to the, every, all the parties involved and make sure it was consensual. They just, you know, then it just, you know, they're just, they, they've got real crime here to deal with. They don't need to be arresting consensual sex, which isn't illegal, right? And also, frankly, BDSM and sex sound a lot alike to, you know, through, you know, so they, 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 there's no evidence of, of assault. There's not much they're going to do to arrest anybody. Well, and it also has to do with, you know, what they think, uh, you know, the prosecutor is going to prosecute, right? They, they don't want to necessarily go through that paperwork if they're like, oh, th this isn't going to go anywhere, uh, you know, because again, you know, not only do the police have better things to do with the prosecutors in New York certainly have better things to do. And they have and they have more sure sure wins than dealing with the, the ambiguity of something like uh, BDSM. Um, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, that that's absolutely true. You know, that kind of relationship is is critical. So let's also, um, but you know, it is important. I guess you know this is the thing. We're like, oh, listen, you're very unlikely to to get arrested or to. But that is very much a New York thing. It's very much a um, you know an East Coast or maybe extreme West Coast thing um, that doesn't change. That doesn't necessarily change the the legality in many places where it you know it may not be legal. Uh, where where it isn't legal, but uh, and there might be more of a, um, a you know a desire by law enforcement to take to take action. Um, but I want to talk actually a little bit about you know here we are we're kind of we're kind of at this place with the with the pandemic where things are opening up, uh, parties are starting to happen again, um, and. Um, you know, I, I, we have a whole we have a whole lot of people, frankly, who who are new to the scene and they haven't been to parties before, um, and they haven't been to play spaces. And I, 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 you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the the legality around play spaces. Sure. So, so my first thought is, 
just because is you know somebody's new is to or if you're putting on an event and you know there's new people there is you know you need to convey how you know and I can give examples of how to do that but you need to convey to people that just because you're in this open you know this kind of this kind of sexually liberated zone that doesn't mean that the rules and laws don't apply right the the rules and laws absolutely apply. So you need to you need to convey to new people that they need to comport themselves in the in this space the same way they would outside this space, which is to say they need to have affirmative consent. They need to um, keep their hands to themselves until you know until they've had until they've gained that affirmative consent. That this is that you know this is well it, you know and that can be hard for hyper for somebody who comes to a space like that and is is very repressed and now finds themselves in this very sexual space and they don't know how to act and they don't know our our rules and laws and norms but our rules and laws and norms are actually the highest standard and the legal standard and you know I think that's a real that's something that we need to watch out for you know unwanted touching unwanted um you know unwanted touching unwanted statements these are all things that are illegal and not any less illegal just because they take place in a party. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. Um, and I don't know if you if you want to speak to this that uh, especially because, as you said, you know, you're you're licensed in New York. But um, my understanding and I am not an attorney is that uh, play spaces are not legal in many places um, like Massachusetts, for example, because uh, they could they could be considered houses of ill repute. So I don't know. That is a I've heard this like legal. I don't want to call it a myth because that makes it sound like it's not true. But this I've heard this before about Massachusetts, and I've unfortunately I don't practice in Massachusetts, so I can't speak to it directly. Um, I don't know the legal reasoning behind that in Massachusetts, but. That is certainly not the case in New York. There is, you know, there is, there is nothing about, there's nothing about the laws governing sex work and outlawing sex work in New York that would make a BDSM event illegal. The statute, the statute for the statute that govern the statute that criminalizes sex work in New York is, um, it, it just simply doesn't know, it doesn't impact whether or not you put on a sex positive event. Well, so you, you actually brought up a, a great distinction that I think exists more for us as kinksters than it might for the general public, um, which is this distinction between kink and sex. Um, and for <laughs> for folks who are who you know are maybe new to the scene, um, and I'm going to talk uh, about New York specifically. Um, you know, a lot of the, the the kink clubs in New York are BDSM only. Um, and by that, we mean no penetrative sex. Um, and, you know, usually no oral sex, nor no ejaculation. Um, and we kinksters often make this distinction, right? Um, I've met I've met kinksters who will do all kinds of things um, to each other up to the point of, of, um, of uh, bringing each other to to climax and, and then saying, Oh, I'm totally monogamous. <laughs> right? um, and so, you know, our ideas of kink and sex are are d different than I think that the general public's. 
And where it comes to uh, sex work, uh, as you've, you know, you've, because you've mentioned sex work several times, um, and how that is distinct from, from fetish work, um, and maybe the, the legalities of that. I don't know if that's something that you're comfortable uh, discussing. I am. I actually do a whole second talk on this. Um, so this will save you from having to have me back to talk just about sex work. And well, sex work, I talk about sex work and sex work in Kingclay. Okay. So I'm going to give two answers. One is the kind of overall legal, the kind of overall legal framework. And then I'm going to give you the, where the, what, what we would call legal realism, where the rubber meets the road kind of thing. Theoretically, if the, if the vice squad was really go, trying to go after kink as a form of illegal sex work, they might be able to do it, but they absolutely don't. There hasn't been a, there hasn't been a fetish kink BDSM only um, targeting of like a dungeon in, in recent memory that I know of. Um, the NYPD is basically, um, has basically given up and had for a while given up on going after dungeon spaces. To them, if there's no ejaculation, if there's no genitals, if there's no, what the statute calls, you know, basically soliciting sex for money, and they define sex as in the most narrow, vanilla way possible, they just, they just skip it. They just don't have the bandwidth to even try to do that. I should also say huzzah to Manhattan. The Manhattan DA's office is not currently prosecuting sex work at all. So um, that was a, that's a recent update since I've given this talk. And that's, which means that, you know, which is great. So they're not even, um, they're not even, um, you know, at this point, at least on my small little island of Manhattan, um, although there are many millions of us who live on this small island, there's, um, there's, re you're, it's basically all kind of getting more and more legal. Um, but yeah, so in, at least in New York, they really do define um, sex work as the PIV or some functional equivalent of that um, as sex. And that's, and that's really it. Now, is that true everywhere? I doubt it. I can imagine that, um, you know, there's many nooks and crannies of this country that are far redder and far more conservative and far less progressive that just want to harass people who are different and sexually different. Um, or just outspoken and sexually outspoken. So, um, so that's a thing for sure. But um, you know, I, I'm, I don't practice there, so I can't. I can't really say. I did practice in Rhode Island, and they were also not doing that, um, going after um, fetish or kink work. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny a lot of these changes because, you know, again, I, I saw you only only seven years ago. And uh, I think the tone was very different than it was. It wasn't that, that, that people were, you know, that, that police and the district attorney were going after, but that there was this, that the gray, the gray area was far more on the cautious side than I guess it is now. And, and I, I guess that's a reflection of our, our bifurcated society, right? Where um, in some places um, I would say that, you know, that the United States has become more conservative in places and, and more um, liberal in, in others. 
Yeah, and you're seeing that in New York being a, a very blue dot. You know, New York City's, you know, getting, when it comes to this issue, at least, very, very, very uh, progressive. So, um, you know, and, and as you've said, it, I, I think it behooves kinksters in whatever jurisdiction they live in, um, whether that's another state, whether that's um, in Canada or United Kingdom. By the way, and I mentioned those countries and, and places only because I, I have a sense of who attends these uh, based based on the RSVPs. So I, I know that most of you, uh, if you're if you're listening, are, are American, and then some of you are Canadian, and then um, less of you are from the United Kingdom and a few from Australia. Um, but this is basically an English language um, only uh, event. Um, but you should check your, you know, your local laws. Um, but let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, making, or let's, let's actually start with, okay, so let's imagine a hypothetical because you're an attorney. So hypotheticals are your bread and butter. Um, and a, uh, police officer does come to your door. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start with a scenario of they they actually come to your car so um and i know as a, as a person living in manhattan that that alone might be hard to imagine um uh, but but <laughs> you've got a car and uh and a police officer stops your car and you know you've got toys um in the trunk yeah so car stops are common and also fraught with legal problems uh there's two there's two different there's a, a, a number of ways in which this might end badly. So one is that they can see the stuff in the trunk, right? Your trunk is a hatchback or it doesn't have a little flappy thing. The other thought is the other way might be that um, they're actually going to arrest you for something unrelated, like driving on a suspended license. And then they're going to quote unquote, I'm making air quotes with my hands. Uh, forgive me for doing that on a audio podcast, but you know, they're going to inventory, you know, quote unquote, the, um, the, the contents of the car for safekeeping, which is really just a way to get around the search and seizure issues. Or they're going to say that um, the stuff in your car is within grabbable reach. So for their own safety, they had to search the bag or search the whatever that's in the back seat or, you know, maybe you're you're driving a small enough car that they they can you know that the trunk would fall into that. I doubt it though. Um, that would probably not be a trunk problem. Or um, you left your wallet in your bag, and your bag's in the trunk, and you go. They're like, oh well, just open the trunk and get your wallet out, and you do. And then they say, oh, what's what's that? And then you know, or they think they say, oh, that bag has an outline of a illegal product, an illegal uh, item. And then, or another, I mean, you, you see how the exceptions start to swallow the rule, right? The rule is that you have a right to unlawful, to protection against unlawful search and seizure. But by the time you start carving out all the exemptions, it starts getting really un unnerving. And of course, one of the other, the other things that happens all the time, despite uh, me trying to shout from the rafters not to do this, is people consent. Cops have a right and they're intimidating and they say they have a right to ask if they can search something. So sometimes they'll say, can we search your car? And the answer is no. But saying no to a person wearing Kevlar with a gun, taser, cuffs, and the ability to kill you with impunity is a lot. And not everybody has that kind of, kind of fortitude, you know, and that 
that conversation gets real, real complicated. When we talk about when you mix in things like race and class and, um, and gender and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, if you have, you know, this is a common, this is a common occurrence. And I think a lot of us have things that are per what we would call New York per se weapons that we don't even think of as weapons, but we, we have them as kink tools, you know? people in new york is uh right. handcuff keys right yes you know, everybody you know I, I don't know if people know this but handcuff keys are are universal you know one key will open up basically every type of police issued cuff um and they're indistinguishable for the most part from the ones that we use to do bondage with but those are because of that they're illegal in the in new york but you know people don't know that so they'll have a key on their you know they'll have smartly they'll be like well i'm going to put the extra handcuff key on my set of everyday keys because that way i always know where there's one in case of emergency and then they find themselves talking to me you know at an arraignment so um but things like you know uh, gravity knives or you know flip knives that everybody that are ubiquitous um other kinds of knives like switchblades are illegal uh butterfly knives are illegal um tasers are illegal um um, stun guns are illegal, you know? So these are things that people commonly play with. Um, you know, um, and, and I want to, I want to get back to the, worth it. What? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I kind of <laughs> cut out there for a second. No, no, um, I was I, making a quick joke. Oh, <laughs> um, so I, I want to come back to the things you could be carrying, but before I, before I do, I'm going to say something and, and you can, um, I'm going to save you. So you don't have to say this. Um, but you know it's very common also for police to use ambiguous or deceiving language leading language like well you know if you don't uh if you don't let me search the car i'll call for the dogs um to sniff your car or i'll call for backup or whatever um and if you say well go ahead call for backup that's consent only in police world is that a is that a form of consent but if you say i don't consent to you doing that then uh legally and that doesn't necessarily mean on the ground but legally there you know my understanding as a non-attorney is that they're they're not legally allowed to keep uh searching your car beyond the intent of the of the initial stop um so so you know and i and, and i just wanted to mention that just because it can be such a stressful situation and they are going to use uh, language like, you know, and they're going to question you. Well, why don't you want me to let you search? Uh, let me, let me search your car or what are you hiding? Or, you know, I'll do it whether you consent or not, or I think I smell this or whatever. Um, so that kind of coercion is, is, is so common that I, I think it just needs to be named. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think it's, you know, the, the police are, good at what they are, what they want to do and what they want to do is search cars. So they'll, they have a lot of ways to try to outthink you, you know? And so keeping your answers very short and sweet is always the best. No, I do not consent to you searching my car. No, I do not consent to you searching my person. You know, I think that's, you know, no, I, you know, if they've, if you're ever find yourself being questioned, I would, you know, the, the easiest way to always, the easiest kind of thing to find out how, screwed you are is just ask if you can leave you know they're 
their right to detain you um, is based on how much probable cause they have. So if you say, "Am I, fr- I would like to leave, am I free to go? That usually puts them in a position where they have to then determine whether or not they've reached certain levels of probable cause to, in order to actually seize you. And for that, um, they have to have real evidence. And that usually puts the cat amongst the pigeons, kind of, so to speak. So that, that usually kind of calls the question. And then if they say no, the, the only thing you want to do is talk to a lawyer. Because that means they're going to arrest you. Then you just say, right, yeah, a detainment, a detainment usually means that they're on their, they're on their path to, uh, to, to an arrest, but they don't have, but they're going to start fishing before, before they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, the scenario of, of public transportation or walking or whatever, um, with, with things that, again, we think of as, um, normal and you know normal of course i have a whip with me and some rope and zip ties and maybe some knives and i'm bringing up knives because um you know it's something that and in new york specifically you know we we the community have talked about uh in the past there are legal ways federally mandated ways to transport guns but there are no mandated ways of transporting knives and that includes you know sharps that we might use for play Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and you, and you brought up handcuff keys. What are what are some other things that we uh, we kinksters may not be thinking about that uh, might be seen as weapons? Um, butterfly knives are definitely one. Switchblades are one. Um, as I said before, tasers and stun guns. Um, if, I, if you're playing with these, I'm kind of impressed. But um, uh, brass knuckles, metal knuckles. Um, uh, swords are also not legal. Um, they're, yeah, I think that's, those are the ones that like pop out kind of chemical, uh, chemical oh yeah, like mace is illegal. Um, I've heard, you know, I've never had a pepper spray case, so I have to check to see if pepper spray, which is made of a different product is, is or is not legal. Unfortunately, I don't remember the direct answer to that. So forgive me. Um, yeah, I'd love to um, that actually because it's it comes up it comes up and I've never I've never successfully found I just can't remember off the top of my head but I've never had I've never had a case of one so that's a pretty it's pretty well and I, and I think this came up a lot you know in, and look you know we're gonna you're gonna we're gonna be somewhat New York focused here because again that's your jurisdiction but you know it came up a lot when um, when we had the you know the stop and search and when we had the the cops in the you know in the in the you know, subway, um, and and I've heard you know, I've heard stories of people. You know, they they enter the subway, they see the cops are there, they turn around, and then a cop goes, "Oh, where are you going?" <laughs> um, so you know that I think it was a scarier time um, for a majority of people on Man- in Manhattan, and I and I mentioned Manhattan specifically again because. Um, it is where you know I think it was a shock to people who are predominantly white and wealthy, uh, just how much police interaction c- can occur um, mm-hmm. and how scary it can be. Um, you know, where I think it was um, kind of par for the course, an unfortunate, very scary and sad par for the course for people in lower income or minority neighborhoods. Um, but, you know, I think for, for you know, white passing uh, 
you know, wealthy people living in Manhattan. It was kind of a shock to, to you know, to have to be questioned and, and searched like this. Um, so, you know, you've mentioned some, th some things and so, you know, so if I'm, you know, let's say I'm, I'm, and I've done this, all right, carry, you know, carrying a bunch of toys in my backpack, uh, going to a club, um, what are my rights uh, to keep uh, an officer from searching my bag? Or do I have any rights to keep them from searching my bag? So this kind of gets into the, the, the infamous Terry v. Ohio case, the Terry stop. The police have a right to stop you for the most part with a very low level of probable cause. They then, because they've stopped you for their, and I'm putting this in air quotes again, their own protection, have a right to, um, to deter, to kind of, to, to do what's called a Terry stop, to, to pat you down, see if they have, if you have any weapons on you, or at least ask if you have any weapons on you. Now that's probably not going to get them into a bag, right? Because a bag is kind of a higher expectation of privacy. And it's also, it's, harder to get a weapon. If you actually did have a weapon, you, taking it out of a bag would be a much more arduous process than, let's say, pulling it out of your waistband. Um, so the way the police usually get into bags is they either ask the person to consent. They say, hey, you know, just for my safety and your safety, do you mind if I check your bag? Um, and if you say no, then they, then in their minds, they start trying to figure out how to get into that bag. Or in the alternative, um, they'll say or say they say they they'll either say because they're being honest or say because they're being dishonest um and i've looked at enough body cam footage lately to to say that you know sometimes they're being honest and sometimes they're being dishonest that they'll say that there was a outline of a of a weapon in the bag itself i could tell from the way the bag was the outline of the bag that there was a, a handgun in there or you know they do that a lot with pockets too you know, we, we so we came upon him because we saw what we believed was the outline of a of a handgun in there in their puffy giant coat kind of thing. Um, and they'll get they'll get the weapon that way. Um, but this is also another thing to, to remember is they also get um, they could. This is also a way for them to get uh, you can they might find drugs, you know, um, on 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 you as well, too. So this gets you know, it's you know, if you're one of those, you know, you might have a whole you might, you know, I, I live in a place where marijuana is in the process of becoming uh, decriminalized and legalized, but not everybody is, right? So some people might have marijuana in that bag. Some people might have psychedelics in that bag that they're not planning on using at the party, but planning on using some other time or what, what have you. Um, so, yeah, all very, very scary. Um, and then the other thing, too, is some of this stuff, like I've been walking around for the last couple of years with my favorite cane that just doesn't fit in any bag. And so far, nobody's cared that there's been a cane sticking out of a backpack, like a foot and a half above my head. But I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. Like, I mean, somebody, somebody might at some point, law enforcement or otherwise might wonder why there's a cane sticking out of my bag. But, you know, it's not a per se weapon, but it is a little bit, um, it is a little bit attention grabbing maybe. I mean, what I'm hearing, though, from a practical standpoint, then, is, you know, to keep your toys or as as much of your toys as possible uh, in a in a bag that that is, um, if not if not solid uh, and hard shelled, at least 
um, you know, has a, a consistent shape, right? So, you know, I'm imagining if you've got if, if you've got your toys in a pelican case, that you know, there's no outline of anything. Um, and similarly, you know, most soft-sided luggage, um, if you're you know if you're carrying it like that, you know, they're not there's no outline of anything. They can't claim. I mean, they could claim anything, but that you know that would be easily uh, disproven. Sure, and and you know any kind of any kind of tool, any anything that locks is also a kind of an extra level, right? Because then there's really no reason for the police to be worried about what's in the in the locked suitcase because um, because you would need you know to unlock it and then get into it to if you were to do anybody any any harm in a street confrontation. So yeah, I think you're I think you're um, I think you can kind of if you're making a hierarchy of, of privacy rights, um, unlawful search and seizure rights, I should say, you know, your home is obviously best. The car is second best with the trunk being bet the best part of the car. And then this a street encounter is the third. And also, I don't know what other states have, but since September 11th, 2001, the police have started to, you know, search all public transportation, subways and stuff like that. And that's, um, they they don't have a right to search without your consent, but they do have the right to forbid you from getting on public transportation without consenting to the search. So you can be turned away at the station, but you know if you don't consent to a search of your belongings, um, which is I, which you know is probably a fair trade depending on what you have in your bag. You know, uh, I, I want to get on to because you mentioned the home and I, I want to talk about that. But before I do, um, and again, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, for your input. I mean, I'm happy if you if you jump in, I'm going to give my non because I'm, I'm going to use my privilege as a non attorney to uh, to to speak a little bit a little bit about crossing the border um, as someone who who uh, who lives in Canada. Um, there's a lot of border crossing here and. Um, you know, I, I've watched I've watched some of these uh, this trash TV where people cross the border and they get in trouble with uh, border crossing. And uh, one of the things that that shocks people is what is considered a weapon. And uh, I remember watching a couple, um, and they had uh, they were stopped uh, and and questioned because they had all these weapons in their in their car, um, and that included things like brass knuckles that were made out of plastic. Huh. Um, that included uh, what what they called uh, what the TV show called whips, um, and it was really clear to me uh, uh, watching that these were just a, this was just a kinky couple, um, <laughs> sure, and and that the weapons that were identified were toys, um, but for the customs officer, um, this was a car full of weapons being brought into Canada. Um, and so I think, you know, we cannot overemphasize that what is for us toys can appear to someone else as, um, as weapons. Um, now, obviously, and we're not talking about, you know, if you've, if you've got your, um, you know, if you've got your flogger, um, that's, you know, that's probably not going to count, right? But if you've got, if you've got a, you know, even a cane or, um, and again, you mentioned knives, you know, those kind of things, they can absolutely be um, considered weapons, you know, either for the purposes of customs, for the purposes of, of an officer who might be, you know, stopping you and asking you what you've got on you. 
uh, et cetera. So I just wanted to emphasize that, you know, that again, I think as a Kingster, we, we recalibrate what we think of as, as a weapon. Um, but, but in, you know, we play with weapons uh, or we play with things that can be used as weapons. It's part of the, I think that's part of the, at least for me, it's part of the fun. <laughs> so, and, and yeah. And when I do my presentation live and I'm, and I, uh, I have a, a, a demo bottom, I point out that using anything in New York is a, is considered a weapon. So if you take a ruler, it's not a weapon, but if you take a ruler and hit somebody, it becomes a weapon and you're guilty of criminal possession of a weapon. And if you meet the standard of misdemeanor assault and then use a weapon, it's now assault in the second degree. So to, to quote, um, singer, songwriter, and folk icon Anita Franco, every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. So every kink toy is a felony if you use it right, I guess would be to misquote it. But you get the idea. Like a lot of things that we use as kink toys um, could be considered weapons, not as per se weapons, but as weapon, as but in how they're used. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you've also mentioned in your... Um in your live presentation that, you know, uh, using a weapon changes, uh, an assault, um, from a class one to a class two felony. If I, if I recall, it's a, from a misdemeanor to a felony. Sorry. No, so it's okay. yeah. it goes from, it goes well, from, uh, Mr. Assault in the third degree to assault in the second degree. So one twenty zero five. Well, that's huge. Right. But that's a, that's a big jump. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's real bad. <laughs> Um, you know, for, for something, for something as simple as, you know, a paddle or, a you know, or a belt. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. that's nice and scary. Um, so let's talk about the home since, uh, you, since you mentioned it, um, you know, let's imagine that we're, you know, so let's, let's, let's actually go to New York, right. Uh, and, uh, New York, it's a dense place, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people and uh, you know, somebody hears something, they, you know, they, 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 they hear a screaming um, and uh, I'm going to be a little bit um, heteronormative. They hear a woman screaming. Uh, somebody gets concerned and they call the police. So now the police are going to call about what is, either, you know, they're going to, they're going to be concerned about either a domestic dispute or an assault. Right. Right. So a couple of things are going to happen. Um, um, first, the police are going to knock at your door. There's um, there's actually the person I do this presentation with uh, is on today, and he would be the perfect person to, to, to give the answer because he has been a member of the uh, NYPD for for you know a full career. So he could he could speak to this more. But I would I'll best I'll, I'll channel him as best as I can and say that if you're in law enforcement, Every second that I don't, that that person doesn't answer the door raises their level of concern and alarm as to what's going on on the other side of that door. So if you hear a knock at the door, you have, you have to really be very judicious about what happens next. Personally, if, unless it's a very complicated bondage situation, I think freeing the person is a really good idea. It also cuts down on the level of awkward. Um, 
I also would hide any per se weapons pretty quickly because they can see those. And then even if everybody's, if everybody's being, if even if everybody's consenting to everything that's going on, if they see a per se weapon, that's illegal. And they had the right to look when you open the door, they had a right to look in and see things. And if they see a per se weapon, that would be bad. Same with any illegal substances, right? So Anything that's per se illegal, drugs or or weapons, uh, which would you know might be your king tools, you got to make sure that they can't see those. Those are quickly and and, and completely stashed away somewhere, um, or else you're going to be they're going to have probable cause to arrest you. The next thing, though, is the making sure that the per, everybody's on the same page involved who's involved in the scene, which is we need to you know, you need to make sure that the police are like, no, this is just consensual sex. Do I really advise not going down the rabbit hole of what that means? I don't, I, I keep it short, keep it sweet. They will not arrest anybody for having consensual sex. If you start getting into the nitty gritty of what you were doing, you know, I would argue one, that's kind of TMI. You don't have to, but two, then it starts to get into this weird conversation that might, that if you get the wrong police officer, they won't get it. And you don't want a police officer who doesn't get it. Police officers get the consensual sex between all parties is not illegal. Police officers may get that kink is, between all parties is not worth arresting somebody, but it starts to get murky. So I would say I avoid, you know, this has actually happened to me. So, you know, the police roll up. I had a, you know, I had a neighbor call the police because of some very lovely consensual sex that I was having in my apartment. And I answer the door. First of all, I answer the door in my boxers with a really, and I know I'm not trying to brag here because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty average, but for me, it was a really fantastic erection. And that immediately was like, okay, we all know what's going on here. Like you just interrupted me having sex. Then my partner in like, you know, barely clothed comes in and is like, hi officers, we're having wonderful consensual sex. That pretty much ended the conversation, right? Like they just got a call from a cranky, probably based on who I think it was, old person who just didn't like the idea of loud sex happening in on you know on their floor. So that's not arrestable. You know, there's no crime being committed. There's no reason to arrest anybody. Um, if on the other hand, right, like my partner was bleeding and sobbing and kind of out of control and they couldn't figure out what was going on, it would be really problematic. Um, and that's the kind of thing you want to make sure that if you live in an urban area and you're playing with people, make sure that, you know, maybe that's a conversation to have. Be like, Hey, you know, if the police come, we have to like pull it together real quick. And, you know, you, you want to say we were having consensual sex and that's the only thing you really want to say. Anything beyond that becomes TMI and just makes it legally murky and doesn't help anybody involved. Yeah, that's, that's a, um, a, a great answer. And also I think somewhat different, frankly, than the, you know, than the, the answer we got from the police officer. So it's good to have these, this diversity of, um, of, of expectations and responses. Um, so I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna break in a bit, but I'm gonna ask you just a couple more questions. Um, so let's let's talk about the 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 next sort of level of bad uh so so the police come they 
let's say they can't figure out what's going on or they don't like what's going on and they decide that they're going to they're going to sort it all out at the at the station so uh, you've been arrested um, and not not you but you know you you person have been arrested and um, maybe you can take take us through what should you do then yeah not, the answer is make no statements ask for a lawyer if you've already been arrested they're going to process you the, you're not going to talk your way out of it. You're not going. The only thing you really want to say at that point is, "I would like to speak to a lawyer," and then you're going to get arraigned. You're going to enter a plea of not guilty. Hopefully, um, either you'll be released on your recognizance, or no bail will be set. Um, or if there is a bail, you can make it. And you know, you want to get a lawyer and fight the case. Um, that's you know. In the meantime, if it's a, if they charge you with erroneously with a domestic assault, um, there's going to be an issue, an order of protection, which is going to ban one of you from the one or sometimes both of you from the place you live, de facto making you homeless for the next 90 days. Um, and after that, um, hopefully the DA realizes they don't have a viable case when, you know, and it gets dropped when either when, when the complaining witness, what, you know, would in TV be called the victim real says to them, no, this is garbage. This never happened. Or, um, you know, simply refuses to come to court. I do want to jump in, uh, because we do have people from, from Canada and the UK and, um, many people, <laughs> there was a, there was a survey in Canada that turns out like 30 or 40% of Canadians think they have Miranda rights. Um, because um, they watch a lot of TV. Sure. And uh, so, so just going to go through um, again. Not an attorney, um, mm -hmm. but the, your rights in in Canada and in the UK are are significantly different. Um, in and I'll describe how they're the same, and then I'll describe how they're how they're different. Um, so you have the right to silence in all jurisdictions. You have the right to an attorney in all jurisdictions but <clears throat> but in Canada you don't have the right for your attorney to be attorney to be present at questioning um and I don't know if that's the case in the UK but you definitely don't have that right in Canada uh also in Canada so what what typically happens is that you you have the right to speak to an attorney before questioning um but they'll they'll try to get you to waive that right just like they do in the US um and then unlike in the US, so in the US, if you say, I don't want to answer any more questions, then they have to end the, then they have to end the interrogation slash interview. Um, in Canada, um, they don't have to. So you can say, well, I'm invoking my right to silence. I won't be answering any questions or making any statements. Um, in the US, all of that, you know, would be, uh, okay, well, the interview is over. In Canada, they'll say, um, well, okay, you know, you don't have to make any statements, but we're going to keep talking to you. Um, and they can pretty much do that without, um, without restriction. Um, mm -hmm. There is a practical limit, but there is not a, a strict legal uh, endpoint. So you just have to keep asserting and asserting and asserting, and they can, and they can keep asserting. Um, they're just, they just want to have more questions or they or why don't you want to talk? or whatever it is. So um, so I just wanted to mention that. And in the UK, in fact, uh, there's this concept of ad adverse inference, which, uh, so if you say, well, I don't wanna, 
I don't want to discuss that. Um, in the United States, silence can't be taken as an admission of guilt. Um, in the UK, that's a little more murky. So um, it's really, really important uh, to to know your your rights um, as they relate to to being questioned and attorney and and all of that. Um, so I've got some more questions, but I do want to take a break uh, and do a little bit of word from our sponsor. Go through some of the amazing questions and comments in the in the chat, um, and uh, also I think I'll ask you a question or two once we once we do that, and then we'll get to the amazing uh, comments and questions. So um, let's talk about dating kinky. Uh, this series, keeping secrets, wouldn't be possible without the support of dating kinky. Um, they've been incredibly supportive to me in helping get this information out to you. Um, so now I'm going to talk to you about their offering, Dating Kinky Plus, and why I think it's a great deal. So if you're listening, uh, if you're here, you're listening to me, you're listening to Mean Streak Mile Wide, uh, presumably you care about kink education, um, and whether that's this series on privacy and specifically about the police, or maybe it's about some of the, the more technical computery topics, or maybe you're interested in learning BDSM skills like rope and flogging and fire play or soft skills like how to be a better dominant, how to be a better submissive, relationship skills, non-monogamy skills, um, you know, whatever your, your interests are, um, you know, presumably if you're paying attention to this, you're the kind of person who likes to, to learn. Um, and if you do care about learning and you care about this series, that's where Dating Kinky Plus comes in. Dating Kinky has tons of webinars, just like this one, that you can watch and listen to. Their library of kink educational material has well over 400 hours of, of material on a huge variety of topics. Things like being a newbie in the scene, power exchange, communication, um, non, you know, handling non-monogamy, mental health, um, this series on privacy, um, it's the very, you know, we've, done, we, we've just done two, uh, two BDSM in the law, and there have been other BDSM in the law uh, also on Dating Kinky, um, so clearly this is a topic that's important to people. Uh, joining Dating Kinky Plus also gives you access to books like The Big Book of Ass, uh, FLR, Femdom, Femdom, and Women in Charge, and Next Stop, O-Town. You'll also get additional features in the Dating Kinky app, um, which will help, uh, hopefully, help you find someone to connect with. Um, you know, I think for for people who are kind of climbing out of the cocoon of the COVID cocoon, um, finding someone to connect with uh, is really important. So, with all of this amazing content, with all of this, um, you know, with with the the features of the Dating Kinky Plus app. Uh, with the access to the material, um, you know, it's a great deal. And right now, as of this recording, it's only $9.99 uh, a month. And that's really not much when you consider just how much you're getting. But, but that's not all. If you sign up for six months or you sign up for a year, you'll save an additional 40% off that $9.99 a month, which makes that deal even more incredible. Um, and if that's not enough, by getting your Dating Kinky Plus membership, you're showing your support for 
you know, the various series, including this series, uh, the key, you know, keeping secrets with Vir Koto. Um, and you're helping show how important this series is to you and showing um, how important this series should be to, to uh, dating kinky. So um, I don't get any direct uh, financial benefit, um, but um, it is, it is important that you demonstrate um, how important this series is. Um, and you'd be doing so by helping yourself to this amazing trove of educational material and access to features um, on the Dating Kinky Plus app. So um, I don't think I don't think there's any more to say other than just uh, go get it. If you're not a Dating Kinky Plus member, become one today and uh, get access to all this uh, great material. Um, we're going to get into we're going to get into questions. But before we do, I just want to mention our next event, uh, which will be on June 2nd, I believe. And that will be on revenge porn, outing, and doxing. Um, what you can do if someone has outed you or doxed you or put up some revenge porn. Um, this is a, a real concern for a lot of people. Um, you know, as computers um, and as phones become more ubiquitous, the opportunities to be outed in really awful ways uh, increase and um, we should all be prepared for uh, have a plan of action so we'll be talking about putting that plan of action together or maybe if you've already experienced this talking about some practical steps you can take um, both technically but also for your mental health because frankly um, when when this does happen to you um, it's, it's the, it's those, um, emotional and psychic effects that can be the most damaging. So, um, we'll talk about that on June 2nd, but in the meantime, uh, you know, here we are with, with mean streak and I've got just a, a question before we get into the questions, um, which is, um, actually about phones. So here we have, um, you know, you've been arrested or, or someone wants to, to search, you know, your person and um, you've got a cell phone. And I think many of us keep a lot of photos of scenes um, on, on our phones. And uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about the privacy uh, around our phone. What, what, you know, can we, do we have to give up our phone or, um, you know, just the privacy of, of, of uh, mobile phones? So they can, they can grab your phone. They can seize your phone as evidence. But they can't really get into it because Apple's made it pretty, pretty good job of this. So in security culture, like when I do work around activists, let's say people who are, you know, targeted by the police and who are engaged in political activism, um, they are very conscious about shutting off security features like face recognition, right? Because with your face and your phone, a cop can get into your phone. But, they, but if you shut that feature off, for example, then they can't. And, you know, in even extreme examples, I think one involving potential terrorism, Apple was reluctant to tell the law enforcement how to backdoor into your phone. So your phones can be relatively safe, but you don't have an expectation of them being safe. Um, if, so my advice to anybody who's carrying things that they want to keep private on their phone is to shut off the facial facial unlock feature on your phone. Um, it'll make it, and then don't give your password to the police. Um, 
Now, I will say that there's times where maybe this works against you, you know, like, you know, but you probably are going to want to consult an attorney to know when those times are and are not good, you know, for you. Um, there, you know, um, yeah. One example, for example, is um, my client who I had a client who unfortunately had taken a bunch of upskirt videos um, in a subway station and we consented to the, we, we unlocked and consented to the phone to show that the one that he was charged with was in fact the, the only one he had ever done, the only one he had. And this was a one-time uh, mistake versus a pattern of behavior. Um, or in federal court cases, early cooperation is, is used as part of the score for eventual sentencing. So, you know, there are times like that where maybe you want to give up the, 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 passcode to your phone, but that's a decision you want to make. And by shutting off the facial recognition software, uh, part of the phone is it, at least it keeps it up. It gives it, um, it, it keeps it within your control because the police, if they have enough probable cause to arrest you, have enough probable cause to look through your phone. There's nothing special about your phone. It's a great, that's a great question. Or a great answer. The, the thing that came to my mind is, um, you know, as someone who travels uh, between countries again a lot, um, and maybe it's just because I travel so much, um, knowing that your rights uh, on the border are so much less than you have um, within the country. Um, basically, if a border officer asks to search your device, um, you're in far less of a good position to say no. Um, and so just some, that's something I think people should be thinking about when they think about what they're carrying with them um, on their phones. You know, are you carrying all these photos? Um, and you, you may want to think about that as you, as you do your travels. Um, so let's get into some of the questions. Um, BW asks a great question, which is, because um, we, we've talked in this in the last hour or so about pr primarily New York City, and we've said, "Oh, check your local laws." So, how does someone find out their local laws? Okay, so there's two. There's I'll give two places that I I recommend starting with. One is the National, if you're in America at least, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. They're the ones leading the fight um, to kind of decriminalize and destigmatize and legalize our sexual freedom and our and BDSM. So fantastic resource, tons of information, great place to start. The ACLU also has um, a lot of information on freedom in general, and some of that will fall into this rubric. And then if you need to speak to a lawyer, I, um, I recommend the National Lawyers Guild as a, as a really good um, place to find a, a progressive, it's kind of the progressive bar, so bar if you will. Um, and, and something I really, I really recommend. That's a great answer. Um, and, um, you know, I think that those are the kind of things we might want to keep printed in our wallet because uh, obviously we're, you know, we're on our phones so that uh, we have them accessible in case we are arrested. Um, so I'm still going through the questions. I might miss a question uh, because we had so much great chat today. Um, so if I do miss something, please be sure to just repeat it in the chat. But we had uh, what I think of as, as the same question asked uh, in multiple ways. So I'll go through the, the three questions. And I think they're 
roughly the same, but but not exactly. So BW asks, what is a weapon? And I think that was during the conversation about, um, well, I see the outline of a weapon. Um, Switcheroo asks a slightly different question, which is, uh, are there any cases where a large dildo or insertable has been uh, charged as a weapon? Um, and then Leather Alchemist asks, um, what are some of the, the gateway things that we might be carrying that somehow justify the next phase of detention and search? Um, for example, I think New York is at a minimum uh, medical cannabis state. So I guess that's not really a weapon. So let's actually just stick with the with the weapon um, the weapon question. So so for the purposes maybe of a stop, what is a weapon? Um, I mean. So they actually, New York, at least in New York, they enumerate all of them. You have, you know, and it's a whole list. Um, Switchblades, um, flip knives. Actually, sorry, flip knives are a little bit more complicated. Razors, machetes, nunchucks. Um, oh, this is this is like got to be from some like '80s like stuff when it was like because I've been you know nobody has this anymore. But it was like nunchucks, throwing stars uh, were also enumerated, which I thought was kind of amazing because I don't think those are quite common anymore. Um, there's a certain kind of like blackjack beating kind of thing that's illegal. Um, Guns, obviously, un, you know, unlicensed um, firearms and getting a license in New York's fairly challenging. Um, yeah, so those are all those are all some of the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Tasers, stun guns, um, other types of weapon, uh, like uh, um, certain kinds of air pistols are also illegal, actually. Um, yeah. Um, and then anything's a weapon if it's used to commit assault in the third degree. So any, anything you use on somebody else that causes bruising, substantial pain, swelling, redness, um, or, and, and or fear and alarm are all, would all be considered a, a weapon as well. Um, and then the second question that I remembered you said was the dildo question, which is, I do not have an answer to that, but if you all, all kidding aside, if a if you used a dildo on somebody and it caused an injury, um, it definitely could be considered a weapon. That's, you know, and you'd be guilty of assault in the second degree. Um, plus not to mention, you know, some sexual assault problems for sure. Um, although that's going to come down to a, a, a consent issue as in, in large part. I, th I, th I think the really difficult part for, for me at least is, you know, is I, I have this I'm of two minds hearing all this I'm thinking yeah you know that's terrible you know you could be arrested my god is that hot like you're just you're hitting someone with a dildo that hard like oh well, I was thinking of inserting them and like into a, a rectum or a vagina and tearing them oh I see oh um, yeah I guess you could use it actually to beat somebody too um it's a totally different way yeah in either way it would be assault it would be a it would be a weapon yeah, I, I mean, you know, because I think some of these other ones are a little a little harder to to use as weapons. I mean, or sorry, as insertables. Um, an insertable nunchuck just sounds complicated. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, like I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. If you're and, if and you're also, I, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't challenge. We'll see a photo of this on FetLife in like 
by the end of the week if we chat if we send out the challenge <laughs> the nunchuck challenge I, the nunchuck yeah. challenge i have absolute faith in my community to come through with that <laughs> um so so let's move on um you know so leather alchemist asks uh, a question about you know non-weapons that could be used to to sort of justify the next um level of of suspicion and search oh, yeah so, right. So she she asks, what are some of the gateway things that we might be carrying that somehow justify the next phase of detention and search? For example, I think New York is at a minimum of medical, a medical cannabis, a medical cannabis state. We're actually uh, in this. We're actually in this wonderful gray zone of decriminalization, by in which it's not necessarily legal and it's not necessarily illegal for recreational use medical marijuana is definitely legal although the medical marijuana standards in new york were very very high so it wasn't like california where you you know you went to the doctors and you're like hey i have a lack of marijuana problem and they're like okay here's your medical marijuana card we didn't have that kind of um that kind of uh, rubber stamp it was actually pretty it was enumerated for a handful of very serious things like you know, so it was actually very hard to get a medical marijuana card in, in New York. But we are now kind of in the decrim, but not fully regulated and able to buy stage. So it's unclear, actually, as to whether or not a, a stop for marijuana would be would, would give rise to a search. However, a stop for burning marijuana w still would. So open smoking of marijuana would, in fact, still be illegal and still lead to a uh, stop and potential arrest, which would uncover whatever else you have on you. Um, uh, yeah, so any any anything that would arise to a to criminal behavior would, would, would meet that. Actually, open container could also get you probably at least a Terry stop because they have to, they're going to stop and write you a citation and that will get you, um, you know, that would get you, a, get you at least a pat down. I don't know if it would get you into necessarily the bag that you have on you, but it might. Um, um, a lot of, a lot of people, I have, I'll have a lot of cases where people are driving on a suspended license, which is actually not as difficult as you might think to get. You miss a ticket, they suspend your license. That's actually a misdemeanor. The misdemeanor means that when you get pulled over, they actually have to arrest you. They arrest you subject to vehicle and traffic law 511. And that arises to a search infant to lawful arrest of you. And then a inventory search of your car. And just like that, that one unpaid speeding ticket just got you spent you. Now you're in the spending a night in jail and all your stuff's getting, getting, uh, getting gone through, which could turn up, you know, other stuff. That's not so good. Um, yeah, so those are, those seem to be some, you know, obviously any illegal drugs would also be problematic, right? If they see you doing heroin, cocaine, meth, you know, these kinds of things, um, getting into a fight too, you could get into a, you know, you're walking to a club and you end up in a altercation on the street and someone decides to press charges. And now, you know, all of the stuff you have on you is, is going to be searched. That's a, that's a great answer. So um, I'm going to move on. Uh, let's see here. We've got, um, I think, well, Leather Alchemist made a, made a comment, uh, you know, that due to the the slew of, of privacy eroding laws after 9-11, um, that she understands that the TSA has the 
authority to search our bags and to look at our books. Um, I don't know if you've got any comments on that. Uh, I've done a few cases where the TSA uncovered uh, um, a few things of, of my friends who I had to do some pro bono work for. Uh, but it was, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's actually, I don't know the state of the law. I was uh, in law school on September 11th, 2001. So I don't actually know what the law was like before that. But yeah, my whole practice, they've had the ability to go through um, go through our luggage. The other part of that is, you know, just like now the NYPD continues to, to, to set up uh, random searches, so-called random searches at the uh, train stations, the subway stations. Yeah, um, I, I should also, you know, again, I'm not an attorney, but in the U.S. at least, you know, the this question of the border has has come up um, as as the TSA has, for example, started collaborating with Amtrak, um, and it has, it is my understanding, again, not an attorney, uh, that it has established case law that the border in the United States is the the physical border plus any airport, any international airport, and 100 miles um, from any border, which frankly covers, um, I think, two thirds of the population of the United States. Wow. Um, if, we, if, we, if we include, you know, because if you take, you know, the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, Texas, Florida, and then, you know, Chicago, but you, you, know, you get hundred miles of Chicago, et cetera, you know, you, you do cover a huge portion of the United States and that's where the, the TSA has its jurisdiction as, as I understand it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, Kitten 77 asks, uh, this is off topic, uh, but I don't, I don't agree. I think this is on topic, uh, but does engaging in BDSM violate the rules of professional conduct for attorneys? Are you in violation of the professional conduct for attorneys mean streak? Interesting question. I, not that I know of. Um, I, I, that's a, you know, I've never, I, I have not looked at the professional code of conduct with a lens as to whether or not what I'm engaged in is. Uh, a violation of the code of conduct. I, if I was convicted of a misdemeanor, I would, I would um, still retain my ability to practice law, but not a felon. So um, I don't have an answer to that. At this point, um, it seems like I'm in the clear, but it's a great question, actually. I don't know what the uh, code of conduct says. I mean, it would have to be a kind of abstract interpretation there's nothing in the code of conduct that says you can't engage in kink like that's that's simply not something that any that's that's codified or enumerated the code of conduct says who i does say who i can and cannot have sex with but it 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 weighs in on things like judges and clients and stuff like that um but it it does i'm sure have some sort of it, it basically would would i would need to be convicted of something i think in order to run afoul of it is my knee-jerk reaction but i would be curious what a deeper dive into that question is that's a brilliant question actually i haven't even thought about it but my my first reaction is no unless convicted of a crime and in order to lose my license it would have to be a felony 
that was see it wasn't on to, it wasn't on off topic at all Kit. no i thought that was a, that was the i think this is maybe the best yeah. question i've ever written the most thoughtful question i've ever been asked actually on this um, really very clever so uh, we're gonna go back to some of the more practical stuff but um yeah. cosmopolite uh cosmopolite sorry cosmopolite or is it mopolite oh, mopolite cosmopolite asks uh, did they correctly hear you when you said class two felony for, I believe that was for assault with a weapon? Yeah, it's, it's not a class two. We, the, the, there is no such thing in New York as class stuff. It's, um, there's misdemeanors and, and felonies. Felonies are A, B, C, D, E, um, A being the worst. Um, assault in the second degree, and then there's violent and nonviolent. Um, assault with a with a with a weapon is assault in the second degree, one twenty point oh five of the penal code, and it um, it's a D violent felony, which still carries a minimum of two years and a maximum of five, I believe, for a first arrest. Um, I would need to look that up to make sure I'm right, but I think I'm pretty right. And uh, a, a regular assault would be a misdemeanor. So spanking someone to the point where they have bruising, redness, uh, swelling, and, and experience substantial pain would be a misdemeanor. Doing it with a cane would be the felony. Got it. Um, so uh, Leather Alchemist asks, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to do this somewhat out of order, um, partially because I try to group the questions by topic, but also because uh, I want to break some of this up. So I, I know you've got a ton of questions, Leather Alchemist, but I'm going to kind of intersperse them with uh, other folks. So uh, she's talking about knives. What are some basic, uh, by the way, Leather Alchemist, if your pronouns are not she, her, please correct me. Uh, knives, what are some basic, quote, smart guidelines for what kind of bladed implements are generally considered legal across different states? Ooh, I don't, I think that varies wildly. I, I, I think that when it comes to knives, you, some places you might be able to rock like one of those old crocodile Dundee knives. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Oh man, that was the worst Australian accent ever. I apologize. Um, but you may remember the crocodile D movie where he pulls out a giant knife. Um, you know, in some places that might be totally legal. Whereas like in New York, a switchblade's illegal, you know, a butterfly life's illegal. So it's really impossible to say that there's any sense of in the, in our federal jurisdictional setup that, you know, when we go state by state that you'll ever find one, one norm, you know, it's similar to guns, you know, you, it's, you know, they're widely, widely varies. So, yeah, that's a great question. I think we'll need to think about that. Um, Ms. J asks phones isn't there the expectation of privacy to the contents of your phone so the cops wouldn't either need consent or a warrant um they would need they would need to get around a they would need to they they would need to have the probable cause to, in, to conduct an investigation the same way they would need probable cause to conduct an investigation in general um that would mean but that doesn't mean so yes, consent would immediately get that around them. Um, but no, if they're looking for evidence of a crime, I think they can look at and you give them your fingerprint or they pulled it to your face. I think they can go into your phone. I mean, unless I, it's interesting. I haven't had this happen yet, so I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't know the case law on this, but my, 
my understanding is that the police in most of my cases sees my clients' phones as evidence. Um, and that's something they've been doing routinely without a warrant. Now they haven't gotten into the phones because they don't have that ability. Um, but they have been seizing them, which asks a whole slew of practical questions that I don't have the answer to, like why they do it, but there it is. And you're bringing up an, an important point, which is this distinction between giving up something that you have to unlock your phone. So, you know, your, your face versus something, you know, and that the laws related to privacy uh, are different about things that you have and things that, you know, um, and I don't, I don't have off the top of my head, the, some of the law, but th this has been discussed many times about, do you have to give up your password, for example? And it's, and it's unclear, as I understand it, it's unclear in federal court, whether you do or don't. Um, I think, I think there've been different, um, judgments on that. So it's in, in state court, I, you, you can't be compelled to give up your passcode to your phone. Yeah. Um, you may choose to for various reasons, but you don't, you, you can't be forced to. Um, so original sin 56, 56, excuse me, asks, you mentioned something interesting about talking of phones. What about the situation where, when you work in an industry where you have devices issued to you that has um, confidential information on it or specialized non-public apps to access confidential information? So, one can imagine that maybe you're a healthcare provider or possibly an attorney um, and, and you've got, and, and this, uh, the, the people that you're working with have uh, an extended expectation of privacy. Um, so do, do you, does that extend to your police interactions? So I actually, this is going to, this, this reminded me to mention something important and then, and I'm going to mention that and then I'm going to answer the question, but when you, when you get a phone or piece of technology issued to you by an employer, you have no expectation of privacy on that, nor do you have the ability to stop your employer from searching it or allowing the police to search it. Right. So it be very, I just, you know, a lot of people now have phones issued to them by their employers. A lot of people have laptops, especially during COVID issued to them by their employers. You have no expectation of privacy on either of those things. So just, you know, be very careful with that. Um, yeah, don't do anything on a work phone or a work computer other than work. Okay, so with that caveat, um, the question was, um, what about other people's, what about the extension of other people's privacy? Interestingly, I don't have an exact legal answer to that, but my reaction is, without, without researching it is, the police don't care about your duty to privacy. That's your duty to privacy. They're obligated. They haven't, they're not bound by your confidential, by your professional confidential codes. So if the police, I'm an attorney, if the police think that I'm engaged in some sort of criminal behavior and they can physically obtain, you know, they, let's say they want to go into my bag and in my bag is, a hand, an illegal handgun, a kink toy, an illegal kink toy, and, um, you know, let's say a taser, and also a file of one of my clients, they, you know, they can look through the file of one of my clients, without that being really a problem for, um, 
for them. I don't think there's any heightened expectation of privacy. Now, you might be able to make an argument in a different time, like if let's say they want to go into your office and you know they're going to need a warrant, and then you might want to raise that concern at that time. But that's different than say them just going into a bag or something along those lines. I don't think they're going to give. I don't think once they feel they've established probable cause, they're going to give um, much of a much of a concern about your confidentiality um, concerns. Yeah, those are that, that's right. Um, so I'm going to go back to, to Leather Alchemist because she's got a great question. Um, it's a little bit long. So um, if police arrive at a location where there's active scening going on, I'm pretty sure bottoms are likely to be seen as quote unquote victims. What strategies should bottoms take when police arrive? What might be said to them, asked of them, and how to respond to police? Uh, I'm going to continue the question, but, but I think that's a, the first part. The tops presumably are advised to say to stay silent, and I'm sure that's true for bottoms, ideally. But when you're being treated like a victim and you're not, I imagine the pressure is quite different. Yeah, I, I don't think at this point it's a if if a, if you can't if there's a public or even private play party and the police come, I don't think there's any problem saying to the police we're engaging in consensual sex. And I think the more you say we're engaging in consensual sex and only say the more we're engaging in consensual sex, the more it helps to convey the police that this is not an active criminal. There is no crime going on here. Um, depending on where you live, that and depending on how cool the police are where you live, that might work. Um, if you live in a place where that won't work, then maybe the answer is you know, not to say anything. But for the most part, I think in at least in New York, there, there's nothing illegal about engaging in consensual sex. So if everybody's saying that it's consensual sex, I think the you have a very, you, you have a very strong likelihood of explaining to the uh, police that this is just, this is just consensual sex and they should be on their way. And that's, I think that's definitely doable. You know, I mean, some of them are even going to get it right. There's a, there's a person I usually do this class with who's, you know, was one of those people who would have been one of the people knocking at the door and he's going to get it, you know? So some of them are going to get it. Hopefully all of them get it, you know, hopefully the ones that knock on your door, get it, or at least get it enough to know that like, this isn't worth their time or yours. And I think that there's two other pieces to this that I'm going to jump in a little bit. Um, you know, first of all, there is going to be uh, an issue of, of, of gender, right? I think, um, you know, for the most part, people are going to be somewhat heteronormative. If you're a, if you're a male top, you are probably going to be, it's probably going to be seen differently than, uh, and I, and when I say male, I mean male presenting, but male presenting top is going to appear different than a uh, female presenting top and a male presenting bottom again, differently than a female presenting bottom. Um, but, but the other piece, and I think it's even more important here is that, you know, there is this push pull of, you know, say as little as possible to the police, but also saying we're engaging in consensual sex could just simply diffuse a situation, right? Whereas saying, I don't want to talk, I'm not going to say anything, <laughs> might, you know, raise their concern, 
you know, and so there is this push pull of how much you want to talk to the police. Yeah, I think that's sound. I think that's true. Um, so Switcheroo uh, posted two links to uh, various state laws on knives. And uh, Switcheroo, if you're uh, on FetLife, I encourage you to join the Privacy Conscious Kingsters uh, group and uh, please post that there. I think that would be a great uh, resource for folks. Um, Private Hands asks, under the law, any preferred forms of partner consent to stay safe with new partners? Um, is that kind of like a how-to question? Yeah, I, I, I'm. So I'm interpreting. This, I'm going to interpret this question in private hands. If I'm misinterpreting it, please uh, correct me. So, um, are there things that let's let's uh, let me ask the question directly. So, if I have a partner. And I may, and I have them. I ask them politely to sign a piece of paper that says, "I have sound. I am of sound mind, and I have asked uh, Vir Koto to beat the living crap out of me for my sexual pleasure." Uh, you know, signed with their legal name. Um, is and you know, is that something where I can show the police and say, "See, it was all consensual." So I don't know if people. This this made a big stir in my world. Um, so I don't know if this was a, if this is just because it was so, it, 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 one, it was at my school. So it kind of, it hit me kind of intensely. But then the other thing is that it was kink. So it really hit me, which is there was a famous case in New York um, where a person did 10 years um, for sexual assault, uh, state view collar, I think it was. And, um, Oh, wait, was that it? Hold on. I'm kind of curious. I kind of want to find this one. No, hold on. Let's wait. Where is it? Ah, here it is. People be, 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 uh, Genovic, J-O-V-A-N-O-V-I-C. 1997, it was a Columbia University student who engaged in consensual sex, um, of a BDSM nature, um, and then was convicted of kidnapping, sexual assault, and rape, and did ten years before the uh, before the case was overturned, when the judge improperly kept out all of the emails saying that everything they did was consensual. So in that case, the complaining witness had said, "You know, do all these things to me, do all these things to me, do all these things to me," and then the and then the guy was convicted anyways later overturned on appeal. He did 10 years before that happened, but that stands for the proposition that those, those, that those kinds of things are absolutely, um, admissible, you know, and they, they, sh so they're good to have, right. I mean, in this case, they overturned a conviction. Um, and I think that's something to, to, I think that's worth taking note of. So I think, yeah, I think I, maybe I take screenshots of, um, my affirmative consent conversations, because I think that's an important thing to have. Or if I don't do that, I, um, I pay the extra money for, to keep a, uh, to keep all of my text messages in the Apple cloud so that I can later find them. You know, I don't delete any of my text conversations because that might very, that very well might be something that I want to be able to, to draw upon in terms of consent. Now, from a legal perspective, we should also make sure everyone knows just because somebody consents, 
you know, at one point to doing something doesn't mean that they can't withdraw the consent and that you can't still do something illegal to them. And you should always um, acknowledge that consent can be withdrawn and make sure that people can withdraw consent and that you're mindful of that. But um, those things are absolutely worth having, those those kinds of conversations and emails. And um, I've done some, you know, had some conversations with pornographers who do a whole consent video before shooting, you know, so that there is in fact a consent video saying, you know, so saying that the, the person, you know, made a, a, a willing and knowledgeable, uh, you know, consented willing and knowledgeably to what was going to happen to them. Um, you know, and I think that's a pretty powerful tool to have in, you know, making the argument that what you're engaged in is consensual. Again, though, that doesn't mean they can't withdraw their consent, but it does kind of, it is kind of a good thing to have. So we're kind of winding down. I've got a couple more questions. Um, maybe we've got room for maybe one or two more, but I'm very conscious of, of your time. Um, I'm going to also jump in here a little bit with an anecdote uh, or two of my own. Uh, Miss L, when talking about phones, said, uh, so don't visit FetLife um, on it, presumably your phone. And I will, I will tell you a story uh, real quick. Uh, Miss L, uh, I used to travel a lot to the United Kingdom. Um, and one of the things about the UK is that by default, uh, adult websites are blocked um, on mobile devices and you have to specifically ask for them to be unblocked. Um, and that includes FetLife. And um, I was really annoyed because I, I really wanted to go to this munch. But of course, the only way I could go to the find out where the munch was, um, was to go on my, you know, in my hotel room. Um, or, or at the time, I guess I could have used a VPN, but I didn't, I didn't have a VPN. Um, this was a long time ago. Um, and uh, so I, I walked to the to the uh, mobile phone store that was related to the, the SIM card that I had, and I, I loudly uh, proclaimed, uh, "Hello, I am a dirty pervert, and I would like to visit these dirty pervert websites on my mobile device, please." Um, <laughs> and they quickly escorted me to the back of the store and unlocked my my phone. Um, so uh, I, I, rec I highly recommend that. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, we've got Leather Alchemist one last I think, comment. And again, if there's any other ones, please uh, type them in now. Um, she mentions, uh, and at the border to Canada, it's clearly stated that conversations within cars can be overheard and recorded as you approach the actual border guard line. Yeah, so um, I, I think it bears uh, a lot of... Um, importance that we talk about how few rights to privacy you have, um, especially at the border, both the US and Canada. Um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you again one quick anecdote, which is um, I was traveling internationally on a plane um, to see a partner. And um, this was somebody who um, was obviously into kink, um, but was also a, a little. And so I was traveling with um, things to um, for for all of all of of her um, interests. So uh, that included things like a coloring book, colored pencils, flogger, dildo, a butt plug, um, and and other um, implements. And I just remember as I was packing, thinking, you know, that 
uh, just having a little bit of anxiety of what might a person who's looking through my luggage think I am <laughs> um, with, with, you know, the, you know, the, cause of the same suitcase, I've got the, uh, you know, the coloring book and the, and the butt plug um, and, and the, uh, and the vibrator. So, um, and the rope. So, yeah. Um, okay. Um, let me just check here if we've got any last questions. Um, oh, Miss J asks, as to your pornography comment, how do those who we are engaged in sex and are paid for doing so avoid arrest conviction for prostitution? Um, so I'm a little, I guess I'm a little confused. Sure. Um, uh, Miss J, so as how do those who are pay, engaged in sex and paid for doing so? So I, I'm guessing this is people who are being paid for porn, pornography, uh, avoiding questions, um, uh, sorry, avoid being prosecuted for, for uh, prostitution. Um, yeah. So, okay. And, hmm? oh. Yeah. No, okay. Go, go. Okay. So pornography and the creation of pornography comes from an entirely different legal uh, evolutionary chain. It doesn't come from this kind of um, this kind of Lawrence v. Texas uh, sexual freedom path that uh, is very much blocked to us. It comes from the First Amendment free speech path. So the courts don't are, are when it comes to the First Amendment are very loathed to curtail speech in any way. Um, and this gets extended to all forms of, ex of expression. And because pornography exists in a very public space, it's protected speech under the First Amendment. And it's just an entirely different avenue of sexual expression. So weirdly, you can do BDSM, videotape it and sell it, and that's legal, but the same thing done privately could conce conceivably be illegal. Yeah, that is a that is an odd perversity of our uh, of our legal system. Yeah, it's, um, it's funky, that's for sure. With, so anyway, with yeah, that, so, yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to say, um, yeah. No, I'm, I have nothing else to say on that. Um, well, you know, we've we've been talking for for a long time, but it doesn't feel like that long. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, I uh, I have I have learned an enormous amount. I'm. I, I hope um, everybody who's listening has also learned a lot. Um, so thank you so much, Mean Streak, um, for, for this incredible, incredible conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, just everyone, if you can, give this, uh, this gentleman a round of applause. <laughs> thank um, you very so... much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. To you, You've, it's been you have a great thing going on here, and uh, appreciate all the listeners who contributed fantastic questions and, and showed up. I, Absolute pleasure to do this. Always happy to serve my community. And um, yeah, everyone have a great night. Thanks for having me.